Look, if you will, in James chapter 3, and we'll read it as we go through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to encourage us and strengthen us from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It might be said that a person's speech is a reliable measure of their spiritual temperature, a monitor of the human condition, what's on inside of a person. And so James gives us some things to motivate us to control our speech. And the first thing he does is he motivates us because the uh, tongue has the power to bring good. Notice verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend, the word means to stumble. Not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. The word perfect can mean absolutely perfect. And it's used that way in some places. But that's not the meaning here because you and I can never be perfect. The other meaning is that it means we're growing and maturing. And that's what the word means is to mature. When you control your speech, you then are on the path and given evidence of your salvation and to a certain degree maturity. A person who does not stumble in what they say gives evidence of a purified and mature heart, which is the source of their righteous speech. He says the second thing, verse 2, For in many things we offend all, if any man offend, that is, stumble not in word, the same as a perfect man, mature man, and able also to bridle the whole body. If you're able to control your tongue, more than likely... Not only is it evidence of maturity, which is good, but it is also, if you're able to control your tongue, you're able to control some other things in your life because the tongue is the one that can give you the most trouble. When he says body, he does not mean this physical body. In the context, he's talking about the whole of our lives. That is, if you're able to control your tongue, you can evidence of maturity and also you're able to control your whole life. That's what he's talking about. If we control our tongue, which is so easily able to respond to sin and limitless, then we're probably more able to control the rest of our lives. When a person's speech is Christ-honoring, God-honoring, and edifying, one can be sure the rest of the life is spiritually healthy. That's the point that James is making. If you're able to control your tongue, you're probably more mature and you're also able to control other things in your life. When you listen to the world and their language, you know they don't have control of their spiritual lives. And so James is motivating us. Listen, the tongue has power to bring good, to bring control to your life. And then James uses two illustrations in verse 3. The first is the bit in the horse's mouth. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. It's pretty particularly uh, descriptive because you put the bit over the, of the tongue of a horse and you have the bridle. And because you put that on the horse, even though it's small... 
you're able to turn that horse any direction. If you don't have that in there, good luck trying to, to push a horse somewhere. But when you're on them and you've got the bit in there, even though the bit is very small, with the reins with it, you're able to turn the horse whichever you want to. And the horse will obey. Controlling the horse's mouth controls their head, which in turn controls their whole body. That's the first illustration he's trying to illustrate to you. Though your tongue's just a little small thing, you don't give it much thought. Oh, well, big deal what I say. So James said, yes, it is. You're able to control the rest of your life if you work on controlling your tongue. Because if you work on controlling your tongue, what eventually will happen, you'll work on controlling your attitudes and your thoughts because you know those things come out of the tongue. And so he says the horse. Now, I'm not a horseman, but I know a simple thing about it is even gentle horses have to have the bit to sort of turn them whichever way you want. As long as they're expected in service, pulling a wagon or whatever, that little bitty bit controls that big horse. So it is with believers. To be useful to God, we will need our tongues controlled with everything else following in submission. That is, if I work on my tongue to say, stop complaining, that will eventually work into my heart to realize, well, what am I wanting to complain about so much? And the Lord, if I do it right, will give grace and I will be able to control some other things in my life. The second illustration he uses is the rudder on a ship, verse 4. Behold also the ships which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they're turned about with a very small hem, which means the rudder, whithersoever the governor listed, which means the pilot. The largest ships of that day were small compared to huge ships today. But even the ship that Paul was on had a total of 276 persons. And so it was a rather large ship. The point is... The horse is big, but the bit, which is small, can control the horse. The second point is the ship is big, but the little bitty rudder on the back can turn the ship, whichever you want to do. Of course, you've got to have an engine and all that, but the point is the rudder is small. Compared to its overall size, the ship's rudder is very small, and you can easily steer the vessel wherever the governor, what do you mean the pilot, desires it to go. Turn it this way, and the rudder will take you this way. Turn it this way. His point is this. Though these are small, they have great power to control something much larger. His point is this. The tongue, though it is small, and you say, who thinks about the tongue? But if you work to control your tongue and what it says and how it says it and the attitude it says it, if you're doing it right, you'll begin to work on the inside to change. If your tongue says, you know what, I'm not going to say nothing bad about anybody, then you're going to have to work on the rest of you to control that. And that's the point of James. Though the tongue is small, he says it in verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member, small, but it has the power to control us 
Just like a bit has the power to control the horse and a rudder has the power to control the ship. So if you control your tongue, you've got something powerful in your hands to do good in your life and bring about good because it will mature you. Maturity between husband and wife creates a good marriage. Maturity in a church creates a good church. Maturity on a job creates a good business atmosphere. Maturity wherever you go is good. But when people are immature and selfish and vindictive and mean and gossipy, it creates a terrible environment. I'll give you a quote. If our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. The control of the tongue is more than evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it. Didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. Whoa. Work on what I say. Been doing that a while. And been paying attention. Go, oh, you said that? <laughs> because it has the power to change you. The second thing is, not only is it power to do good, but James' point is, it also has power to do great harm. Notice verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. The boasting. And it's interesting. He keep, you got to keep, he's using the image of small and yet it can control a lot. But it's also small, but it can boast a whole lot. Yeah, preacher, I heard you boasting on Georgia. Nah, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. One says it this way. Our nation to boast, to be self-centered, and to be self-righteous. The tongue can boast how good I am and how great I am. I don't even need Jesus because after all, I'm good. I don't need the Holy Spirit to work in me because after all, I don't sin. I am so good. I wonder if a lot of people out there think in order to be saved, they've heard Christians talk about how good they are, that they think they have to be good, and then they look at the Christians and say, well, you fall a little short of that, and they don't realize that Christ is who saves us. The tongue can boast. And it can boast great things of how important we are and how wonderful we are and how great we are. I don't mean the tongue's supposed to go around and go, I'm so terrible, I'm so awful. I don't mean that. But boasting about how wonderful we are and how great we are is what the tongue does. And you know what happens when that happens? It leaves a wake of destruction. It tears down others. It destroys churches, families, marriages, and personal relationships. It can do a whole lot of things because we are arrogant in what we say. You ever heard them in Washington? My goodness, how arrogant they think they are. Many people are very proud of themselves, and their tongue will be happy to tell you what you don't realize is when the tongue boasts, the tongue is showing that my life is not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is not humble. My life is not dependent on the Lord. My life is dependent on me. Because how great I am. 
Speak only gracious words, kind words, words that build up rather than tear down, that edify, comfort, bless, and encourage. They should be words of humility, gratitude, peace, holiness, and wisdom. You see, if you focus on those things, words that build up rather than criticize, words that lift up rather than tear down, words that reflect humility that I'm not perfect, and so therefore I'm able to allow you to be... You know, I often sometimes think we Christians go, we're strong in an area. I'm strong in this area. My goodness, I'm, I'm good in this area. And we criticize others who are weak in that area. As a sort of a self-righteousness there. But the truth is, we got some weak areas too. I can criticize you where I'm strong, but you can turn it right around and criticize me where I'm weak. Because none of it all together. And so the first thing the tongue does is boast. The rabbis spoke of the tongue as an arrow rather than a dagger or sword because it can wound and kill from a great distance. It can wreak great damage even when it's far from its victim. Did you know that my tongue can say things that go beyond this church, beyond this town, and depending on who it's about, go beyond to wherever. It's not a dagger close up. It's like an arrow you can shoot far away, and it can do great damage. And then he says this illustration in verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. He says, behold. Whenever you see the word behold, he says, look, look, pay attention. Behold. How great a matter a little fire kindleth. He's talking about a forest fire. And he uses the illustration like he used the bit and the rudder. He used the illustration of fire. Did you know that a fire that can do great damage can be started by just a little matter? And the word matter there means just a little spark. A little spark. I had that happen. You remember me telling you a story when I was growing up, we used to burn our trash in a big barrel. Mama told me to take it out there and put it in the barrel. I did, lit it up, and left and went and forgot it. All of a sudden, police, uh, uh, fire trucks are coming, everybody's coming, and like, what's going on? It had blown over into the cornfield and set the whole place on fire. I mean, it was burning down everything. Fortunately, they'd already harvested, but it was burning it all up. They had to bring bulldozers in and, and create great ditches, uh, ditches because it was headed to the to the forest. I never forgot that boy. Just a little bitty flame created all that. You know what's amazing about fire? It has the amazing and virtually unique capacity to reproduce itself in an almost unlimited way as long as it has fuel to burn. It's actually used fire. Like the vast majority of things, water cannot multiply. When it's poured out, no matter where or what, it never expands into a flood. If you pour water out there, it isn't going to suddenly expand into a flood unless you pour more water. But if you put a little spark down there, a little fire down there, that thing will expand and explode and go and cover some more territory. It's interesting he used this fire. Fire feeds on itself. If there's sufficient flammable material and enough oxygen, it will sustain combustion. It will burn only. You heard about California? You hear about other places? It wreaks destruction. And so James is saying, folks, your tongue has a lot of power, 
to create good, but you need to control it because it's got a lot of power to destroy. And it's like a little fire, a little comment here, and boom, it can just explode and create great damage. On October the 8th, 1871, at about 8.30 in the evening, a lantern in Mrs. O'Leary's barn, presumably kept over by her cow, ignited the great Chicago fire. Before it could be contained, 17,500 buildings were destroyed, 300 people died, and 125 were left homeless. In 1903, a pan of rice boiled over onto a fire, spreading coals across the room and cities that eventually consumed a square mile of a Korean city, burning some 3,000 buildings to the ground. James uses fire for a reason, and it can grow and feed on itself. Did you hear about so-and-so? No. Then they go tell, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about so-and-so? And before you know that thing, you just explode and spread around to all kinds of people and create great damage. And James writes, tells us, it's like a fire. Hebrews, I mean, right, Proverbs says this. The heart of righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs says, The worthless man digs up evil while his words are as a scorching fire. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no gossiper, contention quiets down. You know what creates trouble? I don't like so-and-so. You've got a fire of contention. David lamented and said, My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. He said, Of evil boasting men, your tongue devises destruction. Like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit, you love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all the words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Job asked Bildad, Bildad one of his comforters, How long <laughs> will you comfort or torment me and crush me with your words? You're not comforting me. You're not doing anything good. It's like a fire. Destroy people. Morgan Blake, a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal, wrote the following satire. I'm more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity uh, pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for the truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. <laughs> Be careful. Because you can say something about someone that you say, well, it's true. But what you do is you give a false, not a false, but you give an impression to another person about that person. And then they give another impression, another impression. And what you may be saying may happen, but it may have happened in a segment of time. I may run upon you where you're having a fit. <laughs> Boy, oh, so-and-so got mad. Well, I go out and tell everybody else, everybody say, man, that, that so-and-so's mad. That might have just been a point of time. You don't often do it. It just happened to be right then, and I happened to see you. Be careful, because you can give other people an impression. 
and destroy. Then he says the, the tongue has not only great power to destroy, but great power to affect life. One, he says in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. He's talking about it comes from such evil of rebellion and lawlessness and every other form of sin. It is the source of unrighteous, ungodly behavior within sinful man. It breeds and gives vent to every sort of sinful passion and desire. It is a vile, wretched, and wicked scheme of fleshly humanness. It is a world of iniquity. Now, I know that's not true of you. That's not true of you. But the point is so shocking to want you to at least control. You know, it still bugs me. But they used to monitor what came out on TV. Now they don't. And it, it still bugs me. Because you just say anything you want to. People can hear it anything they want to. People can say anything they want to do. But you Christians, we ought to be different. We ought to at least be kind and gracious and be careful what we say. Warren Wearsby, this is one of my favorite stories, tell the story of a pastor friend who told him of a woman in his congregation who was a terrible gossip. One day she said to him, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue is getting me and others into trouble. When he guardedly asked, well, what do you plan to do about it? She replied, I want to put my tongue on the altar. Because she had said the same thing so many times and yet never changed, he told her, there isn't an altar big enough for you. <laughs> I know that's not true of you. But the point is, by drawing great images, it forces us to think a little bit. And then he says this, verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. You know what it means? Just like the tongue can control our lives, the tongue can also defile our lives and bring damage upon us. It can contaminate us. To modify the metaphors like this, the destructiveness of the tongue is like smoke that penetrates and permanently contaminates everything that is exposed to it. Whatever the fire cannot destroy, it smoke permeate and ruin that. Preacher tells of the story that says, when I was in college, I took advantage of a department store fire sale, buying a sport coat for just $9. I was sure that a few days of hanging outside in the fresh air would remove the smell of smoke. Well, because of a limited war wardrobe, I wore the coat often, but it never lost its distinct odor. And many people today probably thought I was a heavy smoker. <laughs> just couldn't get rid of it. That's what the tongue does. It will defile you. It will defile the whole of your person. And there's a reason why. Stain and damage you. People know you by what you say. It is something that can determine what people think. Oh, yeah, there we go. Heard the man that cried wolf? Yeah, we don't believe you when the wolf really came. You know why you can't believe the politicians too much? They keep saying the same thing over and over and over. 
You believe them, great. I got some swampland in Florida, I'll set you. Truth is, you just say the same thing over and over, and after a while, people will know. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. There's that complaining person. Oh, there's that negative person. There's that whatever. The tongue will contaminate the whole of your life. And then he says something very interesting in verse 6. And it setteth on fire the course of nature. They use the word nature because uh, it's kind of indicative that, that nature just sort of runs its course. Of course, God's in control, but it's, the image is of like of life. Your tongue sort of determines the direction of the life. Like physical fire, the destructive effects of evil speech expand, not only contaminating ourselves, but also everything we influence throughout the course of our life. To a large extent, we are known by the way we talk. Over the long haul, what we say give others a pretty good idea of who and what we really are. Oh, it don't matter what I say. Oh, it does. Because if you say something you shouldn't, you say a word you shouldn't, you may think, oh, it's no big deal, but I know. I know. I won't tell you if you, but we're offended by some things and probably didn't give them the second benefit because of what the herd said. The tongue can set on course the whole life. It applies to good things as well as sinful. Such things as gossip, slander, false accusations, lying, filthy language, and stories, and other sins of the tongue that can destroy individual lives, families, schools, churches, and communities. The tongue sets on course the whole of the life. If the husband sets on course to the wife, with negative words and harsh words and mean words, it will set on course the style of the marriage. If a father or mother, and vice versa, if a father or mother use mean words and harsh words with their children, it will set on course the direction of their relationship. I know some in other places who are alienated from their parents because of harsh words that were spoken. I've been in Walmart where I hear people, I, I just want to go up to them and say, would you be quiet? Quit telling the child and yelling at them and shooing them out and tell them how sorry they are. Would you please? But I can't. I can't do that because I'm not 6'10". But if I was, <laughs> I'd go up there and say, ma'am, quit. They don't realize they're destroying that child and they're setting on course their future relationship between one another. That's the power of the tongue. And then he says this. This is absolutely scary. He said it's set on fire of hell. The word is in the sense of present, which means it's continually set on fire. And what he uses the word hell is, hell is Satan's place. And so what he means is, he uses the image to say, it's set on fire by Satan himself. Satan himself. Someone says something, uh, where did that come from? It's kind of odd. Hmm. Now, preacher, you are rough today. 
I'm just explaining the Bible to you. The truth is, God's good. And I know my church. You're not like all this in here that I've described. I know what you're like. But the truth is, when I study this, I'm like, boy, I'm motivated to work on it, to control it. It's just a little bitty thing, my tongue. But man, when I read this, I realize what damage it can do. So I encourage you. Maybe it'll motivate you to put a check on your tongue. <laughs> Don't say that. And here's what happened. If you do that, God will work to change your heart because you'll be working on things that you shouldn't be saying and you'll have to work on your heart. And then you have to watch out what you say. I kind of keep it this thing in mind. And I'll close with this. I had to be very careful, and I've blown it at times, what I may say about someone else. And it may be true. It may be something negative I said. I shouldn't have said it. But I've had to work on making sure that if I say it to an individual, you better mark it down. They won't keep it between themselves. It'll probably go further. So I have to work on watching my tongue. It doesn't do things that are bad. It doesn't say terrible things. I don't think yours does either. But all it is is just an exhortation to say, God help me to control my tongue. Let's pray. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your word. And we thank you that our church, I think in many, many ways, cannot be accused of all the things that were roughly said in James. But Lord, it is a warning and exhortation to us to work on it. To work on changing our speech so that we will affect change in us and then working on our speech so that we won't create damage around us. Lord, sometimes I still say the best words we could ever say to anybody anywhere is to simply say, I'm sorry. Forgive me and move on. Thank you, Lord. Encourage us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.